You're listening to the audio sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas. For almost 130 years, FBCMF has served Marble Falls and the greater Highland Lakes area faithfully through children's programs, youth activities, and adult discipleship. We invite you to join us each and every Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. for deep fellowship, rich worship, and a spirit-filled message. For those who find themselves unable to attend on a Sunday morning, we stream those services. Simply visit fbcmf.live during either of our service times to view it. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And to learn more about our church or watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org. All throughout Paul's letter, he talks about what it means to rejoice and to rejoice with others, to rejoice in your own heart as an individual. Rejoicing, no doubt, is a theme, a very important theme in this letter. But he comes to this moment and he begins to talk about one very important obstacle to our rejoicing, and it is that of anxiety and worrying. You may have had moments in your life where things were going well, you felt yourself rejoicing, and then all of a sudden someone told you something. You had to think about something, and the anxiety just came on you like a flood, and and all of the rejoicing, all the joy just vanished. It just was sucked out of the whole room. Paul talks about this relationship between rejoicing and anxiety, that anxiety hinders our ability to rejoice, that anxiety frustrates joy, and it may seem obvious to you. In fact, it's a very obvious thing. None of you in here are surprised by that. The idea that that anxiety or worrying has a negative effect on rejoicing doesn't blow anybody's hair back. That's not new information. It's very obvious. It's kind of like some of those warning labels that you see on various products, and it's very obvious already. Manufacturers go to laughable uh, effort to try and save consumers from any conceivable misperception or misunderstanding about their product. Um, I heard recently of a picante sauce, a hot salsa that you could buy, and, and apparently it's so hot that the warning label said, caution, very hot, do not use as a prank on the weak or the elderly. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Your mouth is on fire. It's like, ha, ah, and then you're like, ah, here comes grandma. Watch this. <laughs> it's funny to me how certain cartons of eggs come with a warning label that says, be aware, may contain eggs. It's funny to me how there's a certain brand of hair dye that says, is not for ice cream topping. Hair dye, man, for, for just in case you've missed that. Um, all of these, the, uh, the, some of them are so funny. Have you ever wondered, you, you, you go to the store and you buy Nitol sleeping pills, and, and it says, may cause drowsiness for it. Like, my goodness, really. Um, the, for all of you dentists and orthodontists in the room, you will be very glad to know that if you go, that if anybody goes to the hardware store and buys a Dremel toolkit, that it's very explicit on the box that Dremel tools are not to be used as a dental drill. I think it's sound advice. I agree completely with that 
particular warning label. I think it's smart. Now, they, they go to great lengths. You, you say, well, man, what kind of idiots do we have in this world? Apparently a lot. Someone that would get a Dremel tool, and if a friend of theirs had a cavity, they would say, open wide, buddy. I could take care of that. That, that. Apparently, that's the kind of people that are around. And, and what will happen is somebody who has half a brain will do these things, and then they will have the audacity to sue the company. Now, the Apostle Paul writes something that is very obvious. And perhaps the reason that he writes it is because we are those idiots who forget this. That we are the ones who don't get it, we don't get it, that right in the middle of rejoicing, we don't understand why it's so hard or why we lost our joy. We go through months, months of not having any joy and being mad at everybody around us. And then we think, well, why am I not so happy? Why am I so sad for things? Or why am I so angry? Why am I so... Maybe it's because the very obvious thing is that anxiety and worry have taken away joy, have taken away our ability to rejoice. Paul, like a, a good warning label, just kind of slaps it on the teaching, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm going to tell you one more time, rejoice and then linking it together, and he says, anxiety, though, will hurt you in it. Anxiety will take it away, so do not be anxious in anything. In this passage, we see a, an imperative command, rejoice. It's not a, a suggestion. It's not something that he says, if you feel like rejoicing, go ahead and rejoice. It's an imperative command, rejoice. And then we see a problem, though, that it's hard to always rejoice when we experience this little thing called anxiety. And then he gives us two things in order to deal with that anxiety. He talks about our prayer, and then he talks about our thought life. Prayer and thought life help to mitigate, to control anxiety for the purpose so that we can be a rejoicing people once again. Think about rejoicing for a moment. Rejoicing is one of the most important things that you can do to, to choose to have joy now, I say choose because rejoicing is not a feeling and it's not an emotion. You, you, you can't control those things. You, you can't command somebody to feel a certain way. Now, although my dad tried, um, moments in my life, he, he would say, son, you better get glad in the same shoes you got mad. Y'all had the same dad, yeah, that I had. You better get glad in the same shoes you got mad in. You better put a smile on that face. You better cheer up right now. <laughs> like, how do you do that? Cheer up. I'm telling you. You see, you can't command. You can't command an emotion or a feeling. You can command something, and people can put it on the, on the outside, but on the inside, nothing has changed at all. You can't control an emotion, but here Paul is saying rejoice, rejoice. It's kind of like love in that love and joy are not feelings and emotions. They are a choice. You choose to be joyful. You choose to rejoice no matter what. It is a choice. Um, you do so no matter what your personality is. 
Uh, the idea of rejoicing doesn't mean, well, if you have a certain personality and it's easy for you to rejoice, then you can rejoice. Y'all have taken personality stuff before. You ever, there, there's all kinds of personality. The personality where it, it, it categorizes you as a certain animal. There's the fun-loving golden retriever, and there's the, the otter who's, you know, really loyal, and there's the hard-working beaver and all of these things. And, and then there's, you may have gone to, to a real deep personality uh, test called the Myers-Briggs, perhaps. Maybe you go to work, and in the place where you work, they say, oh, we're going to do this, and, and you do a personality thing at work. There's personality test to see which Disney character you would be and which Star Wars character you would be, all kinds of personality tests. Um, and uh, the thing is, is that that has nothing to do with your choice to rejoice. Um, you can't say, uh, oh, it's easy for that guy to rejoice over there. He's a golden retriever. Yeah, it's easy for me. It's harder for me, Ross. You need to understand. Us, us beavers, we're just really serious, and we're hardworking. When you want something done, you ask me. When you want somebody just to rejoice and play, go ask that guy over there. Because I'm the hard, I'm serious, man. I, I'm, that's who God made me. That's my personality. No, no. Rejoicing is a choice that transcends all beavers and otters and elephants and donkeys and all of that. It transcends everything, and it goes past all of your Star Wars characters. It, it, your ability to say, I choose to rejoice regardless of what my personality might be, now we're starting to get close to the idea here. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Maybe Paul took it so seriously because it has something theological to do with the kingdom of God. Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God at one point, and he, he likened the kingdom of God to a wedding feast. Do you remember that? The kingdom of God is like a huge wedding feast where a man, his daughter or his son is getting married, and he throws this huge party and invites everybody to come. And there's something special about the wedding feast. It was one of the most celebratory, exciting things that would happen in those ancient cultures. There's some dad his son or daughter is getting married, and he's broke spending it on the party, and he's happy to do so. And this is big, man. My kid is getting married. All of you come. I pay for it all. It is a party that I'm throwing because I'm so happy that my son or that my daughter is getting married and that they're going to have this life, and I get to be maybe a grandparent one day. And, and, and my line will go on in this young couple. As I get older, this young couple is exciting to me. And I want everyone, all of my friends to come and let us all celebrate. And he begins to dance in the middle of the wedding celebration as a man who has no money. He spent it all on the wedding. And it's a done deal. And, and, and it's a celebration. And the kingdom of God when you're caught up into the kingdom of God, it's so exciting. It's like a party. It's like a wedding feast. And it's a moment of rejoicing when you think of the Lord. And, and so the rejoicing aspect is not just rejoice because of anything. It says rejoice in the Lord, that there's something about Christ and something about what he did for us on the cross and that he wants to be our friend and he cares about you and knows you intimately and he knows me intimately. And, and because of that, you have reason to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. 
like you are at a wedding feast experiencing the kingdom of God. Rejoice in the Lord. And it doesn't matter if you, what, what your emotions and, and feelings are like, and it doesn't matter what personality you have. Rejoicing is for everybody. Isn't that a great gift? It is for everybody. So you're at the party, and things are going well, and you're rejoicing, and somebody comes and they give you bad news, or they remind you of tomorrow, which is Monday. And I got to work tomorrow, and, and I don't like Mondays. Everybody's working for the weekend, not Mondays. And, uh, and so Monday comes, and all of the things that you have to do, and to try to put food on your table, and all of your children, how, how, are they gonna, how am I going to get them into college, and what do we do about our society that seems to be going, and what do we do about our world, and what do we do about all of the politics, and what do we do about these things, and worry and worry, and then in the middle of all of the anxiety and the worry, you slip up, don't you, and you say things that you regret and things that you didn't want to say, and you say it to people that you care about. You say it to your spouse, the person you love the most, the person who is yours, and you say it to them, and it hurts their feelings, and now there is a disconnect. Why? Because you allowed anxiety to come in and to hurt you and to cloud your mind, and it caused you to do things that you never wanted to do, but you're stressed out. They say that anxiety, have any of you ever experienced such anxiety that physically you can feel it? It starts to build and it comes into your neck, doesn't it? And in the back of your head sometimes, perhaps. And uh, your, your, your trap muscles, I guess that's what those are called, they just get tight and your back tightens up. Anxiety. Just as I say that right now, some of you just want to go, uh <laughs> You know, it's, um, they say that, doctors say that anxiety is that thing that happens to you when your brain um, encounters a difficult situation and, and it tells your body that you need to either fight something or run away. And so what it does is it squeezes all of the capillaries in your veins down so that your blood pumps a lot harder. And uh, they call it hypertension when you live in that too long. Do you all know that? Hypertension is when you live in a state that, that you should only live in if you're in a battle. Amen. And you live in that kind of battle state all the stinking time. Hypertension. One of the contributing causes to heart disease and uh, all kinds of other things. Anxiety. You know that anxiety is the most... Um, prolific of all of the mental and emotional illnesses, more than depression, more than anything else. That somehow something is amiss in our society and we have this anxiety that builds. Have any of you ever gone into a meeting? You go into the meeting and the room is highly anxious. There's an issue that everybody is dealing with and it seems like the tension is just way, way high. What I tell our staff, and what's good for all of you in here, if you ever go into a meeting like that, the number one thing to do, if you're ever in a moment of conflict with anybody, anything, if you're going into a moment of conflict, most important thing, you choose, choose to be a non-anxious presence. You breathe. You focus on something greater, something bigger. You focus on, 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 on life abundant and life full. You think about something else so that you can bring that anxiety down. Um, if you're in a moment and you're with your spouse and there's a moment of, of, of great anxiety, 
it's going to continue escalating until one of the two of you finally says, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be calm. I'm, I'm, I'm done with the yelling. I'm done with all of that. I'm done with the accusations. I'm going to be a non-anxious presence. And it's something that helps with anxiety is to really set your mind on something that's, that's better. And this is why Paul starts to talk about your, when he gets into the mind part and dealing with it, you pray and then you focus your mind on something that's better. Next week is Easter, and this is, I even like it a little bit more than, than Christmas. I love Easter time. I love the concept of the resurrection of Christ. I think it's something worth celebrating and something worth changing our life for, something worth inviting all of your friends over and your whole family for Easter lunch. I think it's worth all of that. It's a true festival that we have as Christians. One thing, though, that I always get anxious about is the worship service because I, I desperately want for everyone here who comes to Easter to experience the Lord and his resurrection. I want them to, to feel it, that Christ died for them and he rose for them, and they too get to join the resurrection power. I want them to do that. And so we put together the very best Easter worship service that we can. And so I'm always anxious, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, I wonder how it's going to go. But every year, Megan helps me with something. She writes a little note, and she puts it on Easter Sunday morning um, and, and kind of tapes it there on my wind, uh, mirror in our bathroom. And it says, the day is already a victory because Christ Jesus rose again. And it reminds me of this fact that it don't matter how awful I preach, I can't mess up Easter. Amen. It don't matter. I could come and it could be the worst sermon any of you have ever heard, but your God is risen. He is alive. And because of that, Megan writes that and she reminds me, <laughs> It is not about your sermon. It's not about these things. It's a victory because of what Jesus did, not about what you're about to do. And, and immediately I set my mind on that, and guess what reduces anxiety about the whole thing? Anxiety reduces. And so Paul says, well, what are your strategies if, if anxiety is, is, is just beating you up like this? If any of you are here and you're on medication for it um, and you're struggling with it, what are your options? Option one, do not forget the power of prayer. Uh, that, that you can pray with two things, petition and thanksgiving, Paul says. Petition. Talk to God about that specific issue that you're dealing with. Talk to him about it. It doesn't matter how small it is. It doesn't matter how great it is. You, you talk about it, and, and, and then you... Find something in your life to thank him for. Lord, this is going wrong. I'm petitioning you because this stinks, and this is hurtful, and I hate it, and I can't get over it. At the same time, God, there are other things in my life that I can be thankful for. There, there, there's other things, Lord, and I set my mind on some of those things, some of the thankful moments, and you talk to God about both. Here's what's going wrong, God, and here's what's going right. And Lord, I'm thankful to you, and I'm praying to you with all of it. And Paul says, when you do those things, when you pray to God, then here's what will happen to your anxiety. The anxiety and the worry that keeps trying to get into your mind, Paul says, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word for guard is a Greek word, garrison. Paul says that God will, will 
set up a garrison around your heart and around the bad things that you think sometimes in your mind that ends up hurting you. God will put a garrison around it that will give you peace. And, and as you pray, Lord, help me with this. And God says, I'll help you. I'll guard your mind. I'll guard your heart. Keep talking to me about it. What else? Keep talking to me about it. How else do you feel? And, and when you talk to the Lord about it, he meets you in that place. And then he says, and here's the second strategy. You pray, second strategy, your thought life. You, you're going to take certain thoughts captive. You're going to harness them. You're going to focus on them. And you're going to be disciplined in them. It's kind of like joy, and rejoicing. If you meet somebody who is a joyful person, it's not because they just always feel like it or they have a personality for it. If you meet somebody who is a rejoicing person, it's because they have a discipline of rejoicing. They choose it with a certain discipline about who they are. They practice it over and over and over again so that when you meet them and you think, man, that person is just a, a rejoicing person, it's because they work at it. It's not easy but they work and they discipline and they beat their body and make it a slave to rejoice. Now, in the same way, we, we, we harness, harness our thoughts in a way that's disciplining to ourselves. And he says, so finally, brothers, your thought life, whatever is true, so that means if something, has, if something is an exaggeration, if something is a lie, if something's not true, don't spend your mind messing with that. Don't spend your mind getting, don't spend your time getting mad about something that's not true or that you can't validate. Somebody comes and they give you a rumor about something, you don't know if it's true or not. Don't, your, don't, don't waste your time on that. Move on, move on. We spend a lot of our time and our imagination goes and we, we, we get worried about something that may not even be true. This person over here doesn't like me. Well, they just didn't wave to you. May not, may not be that they didn't like you. They, they, they were, you know, trying to drive or something. You waved at them, and they're trying to drive. They didn't see you. They didn't, it doesn't, not every moment that you think that, hey, it's all, my world's falling apart. It may not be. The sky's not always falling, man. Truth, whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, purity. There's a lot of smut, a lot of things in our world, a lot of things we shouldn't put in our mind, certainly shouldn't think much about. Purity, think on that. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. I admire that. That person spoke well, that person worked hard, I admire that. That person is kind, I admire that. That person sacrificed, I admire that. Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, meditate on that. Spend time there. And you, you qualify all of those things, not with the definitions of our world, but you qualify and you define all of it in terms of the person of Christ because our world has its definitions of what is excellent too. And our world has its definitions of what is right. And, and, and the world is going to get it wrong. So we qualify and we define all eight of those things that we think on. We qualify it in the person of Jesus Christ. 
and we allow him to define all of those things. Now, as we do, we, 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 there are thoughts that come into our mind that we let go of. It's not true, and, and you're going to have all kinds of thoughts, but the thoughts that you choose to hold <coughs> captive and meditate on, those are the things of Christ. And you, you, you grab your mind and you hold it and you make it think what is true and right. And you are in charge of it. Nobody else. No one can do it for you. No one. You're the one who can hold your thoughts the way that it needs to be held. If you're thinking something that is toxic to the kingdom of God, toxic to your church, or toxic to yourself and your family, don't stay there. James said this, that if you want to know where death comes from, he, 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 he works his way to death. This is the brother of Jesus in the book of James. It says that sin is conceived like this, that when by our evil desires we are dragged away and enticed, temptation, and then when desire, that desire, that temptation has conceived, Conceive. That means we allow it. We let it incubate. We, we, we allow that thought to continue moving and moving in, in our minds. And we don't, we don't let it go. We allow it to conceive. Then the desire gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, then it gives birth to death. And so the way that you don't move to sin and the way you don't move to eventual, eventual death is by when those moments of temptation come into your mind, regardless of what they may be, you, you, you take it captive and you say, that's not right, that's not true, that's not healthy, that's toxic and bad for everybody. This is what is better, and that's where I'm going to spend my time. That's where my mind is going to be. And Paul said, when you do that, then you can rejoice. So those are your strategies. And this morning, as we move toward the Lord's Supper, I hope that you can bring all of that, the prayer and your thought life into this moment that the greatest thing you can think of is the cross and the resurrection. Think about you being caught and wrapped up into that great power, that wonderful power in the Lord. And so Dory is gonna sing a song for us and uh, it's a very special song. I hope that y'all like it. I think it's beautiful. And it captures this idea. And so what I want you to do is think about your thought life, your thought life as he sings this, as you get ready to come to the Lord's Supper table. The Bible says, don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Examine yourself. Would you examine what you think about? What is it you think about?
me standing still Binding me here against your will But I'm sure that life Is more than quietly surrendering To all those things So whatever is true Whatever is noble Whatever is right And pure and full of love If it is worthy and worthy of you, I will think about these things. Those things, I wear them like a mask, blinding until the chance is past. So, what do you think about? You've been listening to the audio sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And to learn more about our church or watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org.